Uh, we take our text on this Sunday morning uh, from our upcoming Wednesday night. That's the way we roll. So let's do that. Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 10. Let me tell you about Bob. Bob is about to have a very bad day. Why? Well, Bob works on the second story of his office building and he's gotten it into his mind that, you know, gravity's not such a big deal. Gravity's overrated and people... They don't know what they're talking about. And, and, um, and, and which is why in spite of his coworkers' frantic warnings, Bob confidently striding toward the corner window that's open there on the two-story window, as he's making his way to step out the window, um, you know, they, they said, Bob, have you lost your mind? But with one foot already on the sill, Bob turns around with a confident grin and he says, don't worry. He assures the panic crowd. He says, don't worry. I don't believe in gravity anymore. You say, Brett, that's stupid. Well, of course. To step out of that window uh, and say, I just don't believe in gravity. The fact that he doesn't believe in gravity doesn't change the laws of gravity. The laws of gravity, well, do you remember in school when we studied all this? Um, gravity's kind of a thing. Isaac Newton and all that stuff. Um, uh, but as it turns out, the laws of the universe are locked in and they're, they're never changing. I kind of like that. There's some good things about that. You know, if you remember the laws of gravity, you know, the reason that's important is because there's so much we can do once we've figured out gravity and how it works. Um, the three main laws of gravity, if I remember right, what is it? An object uh, will not change its motion unless um, a force acts upon it. I forget exactly, you know, I didn't listen to science as much as I should have in school. An object in motion remains in motion unless acted upon by an unbalanced force or something like that. Um, and, uh, but those laws are locked in or the force of an object is equal to its mass um, uh, times acceleration. That's kind of the formula uh, that has to do with gravity. Um, but as it turns out, when, one, when two objects interact, they apply forces to each other in equal magnitude and opposite direction. You say, yeah, Brett, why do we have to go through all this again? We, we were glad to be done with that in, in high school or junior high. Well, I love that there are certain laws of physics, of chemistry, even of science that, um, that are just kind of locked in. And gravity is one of those things. I like that because we all know it's there. Um, when I, my po toast pops out of the toaster, it doesn't pop out and then hit the ceiling. It actually stays there because of gravity. It's kind of nice. Gravity comes in real handy. I remember uh, one of my science teachers um, uh, said to our class, you know, suppose gravity ceased to exist for five seconds. What would happen? Now in, in high school or whatever, we're like, that'd be awesome. We'd all just jump and start flying around for five seconds. Well, he's, he, he started presenting problems. That's what scientists often do. Um, if you jump for five seconds, how high will you go before the gravity turns back on? And then you splat down to the ground. So you gotta be careful of that. But he said, it's way worse than that. And he, he started explaining what would happen if gravity ceased to exist, including the Earth's core would start to expand and all of the Earth itself would start to expand, kind of resulting in magma and hot lava spewing everywhere all of a sudden all over the Earth. And he said, in basically those five seconds, we'd all evaporate and die. Uh, that's what would actually happen. And uh, man, what a bummer, what a, what a wet blanket, what a, what a Eeyore, you know? Uh, it's like, come on. Uh, but the truth is, we are glad that gravity is a constant. That's, that's how we survive. And that's how God ordained, you know, the laws of physics. And it's not just the laws of gravity, the second law of thermodynamics from order to disorder, you know, entropy, where, you know, um, you know things disintegrate. Things go from, you know, organized to disorganized. 
Which by the way, a little freebie for you, talk to the evolutionists about that because evolution argues that things have gone from disorder to order, but there's nothing in the cosmos that's demonstrating that at all. Everything we observe is going from order to disorder. And where'd the original order come from? Well, if you're a Christian, we believe God created the heavens and the earth. And it was created with order, structure, and sequence. That's why when you look at your DNA, your polynucleotide strands that have you know, this amazing sequence, that if that sequence is out of its order, even a little bit, you are totally messed up. And so that's why, you know, uh, some people are starting to say, man, can we really believe the evolutionary theory? There's science, scientists that are non-Christians, people saying we've got to come up with something else because there's too many holes in evolutionary process. But as it turns out, um, I love real science. Now, you got to be careful with science today uh, because there's people that call stuff science that's not really science. It's actually, um, you know, opinions. And we've forgotten what, you know, uh, what you're supposed to do if you're gonna prove something scientifically. Just because we feel like something's happening doesn't make it so. And that's important to our discussion uh, today here in Matthew. Um, so uh, as it turns out, James uh, Overdwin, a physicist at Towson University in Maryland, did a whole write-up uh, you know, about what would happen without gravity in the universe. And as it turns out, it would be completely flat and featureless, uh, the universe, if there was no gravity. You, you say, so what? Laws of physics, laws of chemistry. Um, but here's the thing. We believe in gravity, but most of us in this room don't really know how it works down to the most scientific levels. We just kind of know it's there and we, we trust that it's there. When you walk outside, you're not hanging on to stuff hoping that you don't fly out into space. It's because we know those laws are locked in. In the same way, and here's the problem, as it turns out, there's laws of physics, laws of chemistry, laws of science, but there's laws of spiritual issues as well. There's spiritual laws. There's things that the Bible says, um, that Jesus says specifically, that are absolute, things that he speaks absolutely. But we don't treat spiritual laws like we do uh, you know, laws of, of uh, physics and what have you. For millennia, the human race, we've you know, approached the laws of God the same way our dear friend Bob, who was about to jump out the window, is thinking about it. I don't believe in God, so I'm good. But those of us that know God exists are saying, listen, man, God is real and his word is true. And people, because you can't really, the spiritual world is hard because it's not as tangible and physical or touchable as the physical world. And so, you know, because we can't touch it or see it or even hear it necessarily, but I believe that the Bible's kind of trying to tell us something. There's consequences if you ignore the spiritual laws of God. And the spiritual laws can almost be more painful than the consequences of ignoring physical laws. You see, um, take you know, people disobeying God's laws. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the law of Moses or the Old Testament law. That's a study we did a few weeks back. We talked about how, what the, the purpose, the law of Moses given by Moses to the Jews, what's that for? I'm talking about absolutes that Jesus talks about, particularly in the New Testament or in the epistles of Paul or what have you. So like gravity, the spiritual laws of God are constant and unchanging. They do what they do all day, every day, no exceptions, just like gravity. Um, and, and, and by the way, you know, one of the things when we learned more about this idea of the laws of gravity and stuff like that, when we learned these formulas that we've got up here, 
It's amazing what we were able to do once we realized, oh, this is the way it rolls. This is the way gravity works. That's when we were able to invent stuff. That's how we were able to make people be safer. You can, you can figure out the physics of, of what needs to happen if you're gonna, you don't really defy gravity because gravity's always there and it's still having its effect. But there's a way to negotiate with gravity when you get an airplane, if you have the right amount of horsepower and you got the right you know, wings and all that, you can actually start lifting off the ground and, and not defying, but negotiating with, you know, and there's ways to, we've figured out how to be safer. We've figured out how to go to outer space um, escape velocity and rockets and, and gravitational pulls with satellites. And like, it's amazing the science once we figured it out and what we were able to do. In the same way, once a person realizes the spiritual laws, you can do more. There's more to life. And there's great discovery that comes when you realize, wow, the laws of God and the spiritual truths of, of God's word, man, once you figure it out, it changes everything. And I'm gonna say it changes more than the laws of science or physics or chemistry. The spiritual laws affect your life personally, radically. So before we get into the Matthew 10 uh, one that I wanna show you, I wanna give you a couple other examples of these kind of rules I'm telling you about. Um, here's a, a real famous one. And many of you know this, even if you're not a Christian uh, and you've never read the Bible, you, you've probably heard, you reap what you sow. Or you know, maybe, maybe some people, if you're not a Christian, you've heard it, you know, what goes around comes around. Or what you, you get out, what you put in. Or the chicken's coming home to roost, right? Like there's all kinds of uh, phrases we have that talks about how basically whatever you reap, you're gonna reap whatever you sow. Whatever you're planting, <coughs> there's gonna be the fruit of that and you're gonna see it. Whether you like it or not, you reap what you sow. In fact, it comes from Galatians uh, chapter six, verse seven. Um, and, and I wanna, I wanna kind of break this down quickly, uh, but this is a very famous verse. Some of you even have it memorized. But we forget the, the heavy uh, warning that's associated with this. The first thing he says, Paul says, is be not deceived. Implication, uh, you can be tricked on this one. Uh, the reaping what you sow kind of thing. Some people are duped. They think that, ah, I'm not gonna reap what I sow. I'm sowing this, but it's not gonna happen. And I'm, I'm in denial that it's gonna happen. And here the Lord says, don't be deceived. You, you're, you're deceivable on this. And then the second warning, God is not mocked. In other words, when God says something is true, it's absolute. And you, you say, well, I don't believe in that. Uh, that's fine, but God is not mocked. God's word is true every time. It's amazing how humanity, we sort of fly in the face of truth from the Bible and say, ah, I can do this and I'm gonna sow these seeds of sin and I'm gonna sow this lifestyle and I'm gonna sow what I'm doing and whatever, you know, caution thrown to the wind, God's gonna be wrong in my case. I'm the exception to this rule of whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. But as it turns out, always, 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 the last part of this is true. For who, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This is a law of the word. This is a law of life about how things work. And some of you may be stubborn. You might say, well, I'm gonna have to learn this the hard way. And some of you have, or some of you are still learning. Or some of you still don't even realize that you're, you're messing up your life because you're just ignoring this reap what you sow kind of truth. But just like gravity, it's a locked in rule. Uh, let me give you one that's not so famous, spiritual law number two that we're gonna talk about here is the amount of mercy you give out is the same amount of mercy that you will receive. That's not a real famous one, but uh, the Bible actually states this in, in no uncertain terms. 
Um, I, I pulled this one out because we talked about this a few weeks ago, back when we were in Matthew chapter seven, there was a scripture that kind of implied this. And um, the best uh, maybe uh, iteration of this is Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter six, verse 38. Um, now, before I read this verse, this verse is so many times preached on and talked about, but out of context. Um, what, what, what do I mean? Um, how many sermons have been preached about giving of your money with this verse? Uh, you know, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give in, uh, to your bosom. So, so the preachers have said, you know, gotta give your money. The problem with that is that's not what this is talking about at all. If you read the context of all of Luke chapter six, the context is mercy, not money. Mercy. So uh, you gotta read the whole chapter. But, but all that to say, when you put mercy in here instead of money, um, what, is, what is Jesus actually saying? It's like this, give mercy and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet or you know, meet with all or give out, it shall be measured to you again. This is a rule, this is a law, a spiritual law. The amount of mercy you show to people that have messed up or wronged you or been mean to you or done bad things to others, the amount of mercy you show to them, you're gonna have the same measure of mercy given back to you. That's a law of God. Some of you wonder, why is everybody so mean to me all the time? Maybe you haven't been very merciful yourself. It's as true as gravity, it's locked in. And that's what I'm trying to show you is these, these statements, Jesus, who is the creator of all things, Jesus makes these statements and we, sh we should sit up and take note. And that's why I, I take so much time with this because the one I'm about to show you is from our text. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting about these laws of God. You don't even have to be a Christian and these laws still take their effect. Um, if you're a non-believer, you, you still reap what you sow. And if you're a non-believer, if you're unmerciful to people, they're gonna be unmerciful to you. So these are absolute rules, whether you're a Christian or not. Um, but this one goes a little different. This, this one that Jesus talks about. Um, so the whole universe works the way God designed it to work, both physically and spiritually, and no one can change that. Not you, not Bob, no one. Um, we, we, we have to be locked into these rules. So this is where we come to our text. Matthew chapter 10, let's take a look. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, it says this, he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Now this is one of many of these stated paradoxes. Jesus offers these paradoxes, you know, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Um, like that, that's a, there's so many of these paradoxes, but this is one of the famous ones. You know, if you're trying to find your life and you're living for finding who you are in your life, you're gonna lose your life. But if you lose your life willfully, purposefully for the sake of Christ, you're gonna find life. Now, this is an important one because as it turns out, a lot of people are trying to find meaning in life or what their life is supposed to be about. What should your life endeavors be? What are your goals? What do you want to achieve? What do you want to accomplish? And, and, and our culture has fed you and me for decades now, more than ever, kind of this self-centered, um, you know, focusing on ourself. And, and the Lord says, man, no, that's not the way it works. The rules are let go of yourself, deny yourself. Don't, don't try to find yourself. You'll lose your life if you do that, if you try to find your life. 
Um, by the way, this one's so important, as it turns out, that all four gospels actually speak the same verse. Um, and as it turns out, you know, um, not all the, the truths that we read in the New Testament are repeated four times in the gospel. This is one of them that's repeated over and over and over again. Jesus says this in all the gospels, he that finds this life shall lose it. He that loses his life for my sake shall gain it. Now it was Friedrich Nietzsche uh, who was uh, really into the concept of finding yourself. Um, you know, he, he talked about how it's one of the most fundamental endeavors of your whole life is to find yourself. And a bunch of people in the 60s tried to do this. Uh, remember when it was really cool oh, to find yourself, man, find your third eye of understanding or sit in the lotus position, contemplating your navel, uh, finding yourself and all this stuff. And they did that in the 60s. If you're old enough, you remember how weird it got. But in the 60s and 70s, everybody was finding themselves. But when we found ourselves, guess what? We were really disappointed what we found. We didn't like what we saw. So in the 80s and 90s, it became all about improve yourself, improve yourself. Man, if you don't like what you find, then you gotta fix it. So in the 80s, it was, you know, you know rebel and sort of be your thing and do what you're gonna do and exercise. Remember all the yoga and uh, the um, uh, aerobic exercising and all of us in the 80s were consumed with working out and getting in shape and all that stuff. Believe it or not, I was even in shape somewhat in the 80s. Uh, but uh but it was, a lot of us, we realized, wow, you can keep working out, you can keep doing that. But man, people, the more they tried to find themselves and then didn't like what they saw, so they wanted to change themselves. And then after the 90s and the 2000s came, and it, it was no longer find yourself or improve yourself, it became love yourself. I love myself. I'm learning how to love myself. Stupid. It's amazing how Christian books have been written on how to love yourself more. It's so dumb. Because as it turns out, the Bible teaches totally the opposite. It's amazing how you can find Christian books, so-called, that go totally opposite of what the Bible actually says. And this is one of those things. I'm just learning to love myself. Um, please don't do that. The Bible actually says some amazing things about this. For example, it says stuff like this. No man ever really hated his own flesh. It's, in other words, the Bible says you love yourself too much already. Um, we nourish and cherish our life and we're all into ourselves. Whether you like it or not, this is kind of what the Bible says. And I found that to be really true. Even the people that are like, no, I hate myself. No, you're thinking too much about yourself. If you wanna be miserable, just keep thinking more and more about yourself. And this is kind of what Jesus is saying. You're trying to find your life and, and, and you're gonna lose it in the process. So the key is not, you know, loving yourself, or, or what about this you know, big movement for decades now, self-esteem. We need to build up our self-esteem and the, the world crammed that down our throats and Christians started talking about self-esteem while the Bible says we're not to esteem ourselves, but we're to esteem others better than, than ourselves. This is, goes in line with what Jesus said. It's not about yourself. You see, we've become so self-centered, even though Jesus has taught us totally the opposite, uh, humanity, our culture has gotten so self-centered. It's about our comfort, our happiness. And, and, and you know what? It's gotten so bad. And this is what we're starting to see where our culture, I believe, is even unraveling. It's unraveling because of self-centeredness and it's gotten to a new level. You know, we've watched it with 60s, 70s, 80s, all these generations coming. It's just getting worse and worse. What are we doing now? Well, sadly, young people we're seeing today kind of unraveling of culture and society in so many of our towns and cities. 
What's going on? Man has become so self-centered behind most of our actions that we do, there's some selfish motive. That's becoming commonplace. What we're doing usually has some selfish motive. Even those actions that seem mostly magnanimous, like a real big-hearted, benevolent uh, sort of act. If you search deep enough, usually you'll find beneath that charitable act, there's some kind of selfish motivation. The, the rich guy, the philanthropist, giving you know, $5 million to the university so they can build a new campus building. Uh, and it's all just because big heartedness and also I want my name on the building and also it's a great tax write-off. Like, like there's, there's reasons why people do stuff that their motives aren't really just pure selflessness. Now, once in a while, you and I, we get glimpses of selflessness in our culture and it usually goes pretty big when we see it because you don't see it as much anymore. Like even Hurricane uh, Ian that we're watching in Florida, it's kind of interesting to watch. Um, this is sometimes where you do see humanity st step up a little bit um, and people go and selflessly kind of try to help, help rescue people. And like, there's some cool things that you see. What about the Chick-fil-A kid? You guys heard about the Chick-fil-A kid? He was there, you know, uh, like most Chick-fil-A workers, he was like a homeschool kid working there, uh, taking orders, uh, you know, and saying, hey, have a nice day. You know, just one of those Chick-fil-A guys. And, um, and then this ogre guy comes up with a big stick and he runs up to this woman and yanks her out of the car and her child and he's gonna carjack this poor woman. And it was just this horrible scene. Well, the Chick-fil-A guy, man, he steps up and he jumps, gets his back, takes his neck, like starts choking this guy out, takes him down. And, uh, and, and it became this international news thing, you know, Chick-fil-A kid rescues woman, you know. Um, well, as it turns out, like he did the same thing just a couple weeks earlier. Like this kid does this often. Um, his jujitsu is starting to pay off, I guess. Um, but uh, uh, they should give him his own Chick-fil-A store if you ask me. But, um, <laughs> but, but when you do see kind of a selfless act where somebody puts themselves in harm's way to help someone else, you, you, those, are, those are sweet moments. But we're just getting a tiny glimpse, glimpse into what Jesus is saying. That's how you're supposed to live all the time. Not for yourself, but you know, esteeming others, not trying to gain your life and, and build your life and find your life. It's about losing your life for the sake of Christ and following Christ. Boy, it's amazing how we're so self-centered in our culture, even our prayers. Have you noticed how our prayers are self-centered? How many times when we pray, Lord, I, me, my, those are words you do not see in the Lord's prayer. When Jesus taught us to pray, not once did he say, I, me, or my in that prayer. Um, the problems we see in our marriages usually arise because of this self-centeredness. People are looking to satisfy themselves and, and you know, get their, their thing and what they want, and they kind of put their spouse as a second. And you gotta look out for yourself. That's totally contrary to what the Bible teaches. And so when, when we start seeing marriages disintegrate and, and you know, he says, well, she doesn't make me happy anymore. And, or she says, I don't love him anymore. And, and uh, you know, I'm not getting as much, not as much of a thrill as when we were young dating couple. Um, um, this is just self, yourself taking over. Marriage, if you wanna know the biblical way, is you're supposed to die to yourself and prefer the other person over yourself at all, for all things. Um, and if you don't do that, marriage is gonna be really hard. Marriage is hard enough, but marriage is beautiful when you have a selfless Jesus giving. Your marriage should be not trying to find your life, but laying down your life. That's what Jesus did. Even as the Bible says, Christ loved his church and gave himself for it. 
That's the way marriage is supposed to be. So because this has gone, gone unchecked for so many generations now, and it's getting worse and more self-centeredness, it's getting to kind of crazy unraveling levels. Like for example, where is this coming from? And is this whole thing where somebody is walking down the street and some guy sucker punches an old lady? Like, why does that happen? We didn't have that happening until recent years, but now it's happening all the time. And, and not only that, but these mob robberies and smash and grabs and stuff, like where did all this come from? Why is there a whole culture that's starting to see this? And, and, and a lot of our culture actually defends it. Well, they're underprivileged people, so they deserve to get their, their stuff because everybody else has their stuff, but they don't. So they have a right to smash into the, you know, the, the Apple store in downtown Portland, break all the windows out and grab all as many iPhones as you can fit in your pocket. And we almost, there's a part of our culture that even defends that behavior now. I brought some video footage just so you know what I'm talking about. If you're not uh, up on, this was a few weeks ago, there was a, a street car, you know, uh, you know, they were doing their drifting and they're skidding around and stuff. And, and then it became this, this whole thing where all these kids went into this convenience store and said, let's, let's have at it. And they just ripped this place to shreds. It'd be funny if you weren't uh, realizing it was true as the guy's throwing bananas and they're grabbing lottery tickets and cigarettes for all. And, and uh, like, it's just this kind of crazy mayhem. This store was completely demolished by this smash and grab group of people. And this happens all the time. Like, like this isn't just an isolated incident. This is a whole nother situation. I always crack up how these guys can't break glass with a sledgehammer. I, I can help them, uh, give them some ideas. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, there's a Walmart where it was a mob, flash mob raid. And these people went nuts. They took, look at this guy calling out an 80 inch TV right there. Just like, you know, he's gonna go rig that baby up at his house and stuff like that. But we're, we're seeing this weekly in the cities around America, the smash and grab and all the, all the, the destruction. But, it, but it's funny because when you talk to who, the, the powers that be, they're saying this is an underprivileged people who they're just getting what they actually deserve. They're, they're even, some people say these people are entitled to this. And the further, look at the employees just standing there going, well, I guess we're gonna lose our iPhones in this uh, little raid and stuff. I could go on and on with this, but, but sadly, I think we're seeing the evidence of a whole younger generation that's coming up. We didn't see this in the 60s, 70s, or 80s. We saw a lot of craziness from those cultures, but this is kind of a new level. And it has to do with me. As long as I'm happy, I don't even care how much I'm hurting the owner of the store or the people around me. It's all about me, uh, self-centeredness. So Jesus tells us this in Matthew 10, 38, but notice he goes on later on. We're gonna get there in a couple of weeks, Matthew chapter 16. Look at this verse. He says a similar, almost the same thing. In Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. This is the secret that so much of our world, our culture, our younger generation, they're missing. They're trying to find themselves still. And they're gonna hate what they find. If they ever do find what they're doing or what they're, who they are or their very being, they're gonna be very disappointed. And if you try to love yourself, you're gonna be so unlovely and you're gonna, you're gonna, some people have tried to love themselves. I've noticed the people that have the love yourself mantra, they eventually get to a place where they actually really hate themselves. And that's not healthy. So which one do you, is it? It's not about yourself. Lose yourself, lay down yourself. That's what it means to take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's what this is, this is talking about. 
Paul the apostle said it in a similar way, Philippians 1.21, for, uh, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You might say, as I live for Christ. <clears throat> now, Paul was one who did that. He forsook all and followed Christ. And he was even able to say, which none of us could probably say as much as Paul could. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was a follower of Jesus. He laid down his life. Follow, and he even knew that for him to live for Christ, that was the whole thing. But to die, that's even better. When he died, he would go to heaven and be with the Lord. He knew that laying down your life was more important than trying to save your life or find your life. So, so many people spend their whole lives trying to gain this life and they end up losing true life. The harder you try to gain this life, the more you're gonna lose it. Um, and this is a hard one to be honest with yourselves about. Introspectively, as you sit here maybe now and think, um, am I living for myself? What percentage of what I do in any given week is actually trying to struggle to build myself or gain life or uh, improve this or that or the other? And, and how much of it is actually for the sake of Christ? Am I doing, see, because we all have to work and we all need to you know, have a living. I'm not arguing for just sitting around doing nothing, but it's more about what you're doing and your motive behind why you're, why you're doing it. Colossians 3.23 talks about how whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. This is what Jesus is trying to argue here for us, saying this is a law of life. If you're trying to gain this life, if you would, apart from Christ, doing what you're doing for selfish gain, selfish motivation, you're gonna lose life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, then you're gonna gain it. This is why you and I should perhaps, even though it's hard to truthfully answer why we do what we do, you know, do I go to work for selfish gain or do I go to work to live for Christ? That's the question you kind of have to ask. Maybe some of you younger students, you're like, do I go to school because my parents make me go to school and I have to do it and make grades? Or do I go to live for Christ? Because um, if you go to just, you know, for wrong motivation, it's loss. School will be loss. The time you spend there will be loss. But if you go there for Christ, then it's gain. You will, you will see gain. It's amazing how so many of the things we do, it's like we do it for financial gain. Malachi, the prophet mourned in Malachi chapter one, if you recall a few months ago when we were in the book of Malachi, he mourned and said, oh. He said, nobody will even open the doors in the temple or light the fire of the altar in the temple without being paid. It's like they were just a bunch of hirelings. They, they wouldn't serve Christ or serve God in the Old Testament just for the sake of serving God. They had to make money for them to be motivated to do it. That's the same kind of thing. People will do for money what they won't do for the love of Christ. That's the sad truth. So what did Jesus mean that, you know, he that finds his life shall lose it? Um, if you live only for yourself, you end up the loser. That's kind of put in more modern terms. You end up the loser. And so many people, have you heard people say, I think I'm losing it, I'm losing it. Well, maybe they really are. Maybe you are losing because you're living for yourself and you haven't uh, figured this secret, this law, this rule that Jesus spells so perfectly out. What's interesting though, when you live for Christ, um, it, it's, it's good, it's, you'll, you'll find life. And one of the things that we have to be careful on this is you will not find eternal life by doing something. Um, you get eternal life because of Jesus. Jesus dying on the cross. You're saved by grace through faith, not of your works, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. 
So that's kind of important for you to know. Um, doing does not save you. It's, it's what Jesus did that saved you. But at the same time, James says, faith without works is dead. So the person that becomes saved and as a Christian, they end up doing good works. And, and if you're serving Christ and you're doing it for the right motivation, guess what? The Bible speaks of heavenly reward that comes. So not only do you gain, when, when Jesus says, if you try to find this life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And it's, and it's not just finding life here and now, but it has to do with your eternal life in heaven. Not that you make it by doing good works, but it'll affect your experience in, in the future of heaven. What do you mean, Brett? Well, here's the deal. If you're not a Christian here and you haven't accepted Jesus, according to the Bible, and you can not believe this if you want to, like Bob, who's about to jump out of the gravity, um, you can not believe this, but the Bible says, if you're a sinner and you've sinned, the wages of sin is eternal death and hell. Revelation 20 says you will go to a, a judgment before God. It's called the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20 says that all those who are still in their sin will stand before God and be judged for their sins. And they will be judged, you say brutally. Well, I believe, I like to think that God is love. And if, if, if he's love, he won't send me to hell. No, God is love. And he's inviting you to, to be saved from that judgment. And it's up to you to accept that and follow Christ. Um, and if you don't, then you have only yourself to blame if you end up going to hell. That's the mistake people make. Well, I just don't think God's gonna send people to hell. His Bible tells us that's what's gonna happen. Um, so you say, well, Brett, that's encouraging. Thanks a lot. Oh, but that's the bad news. The bad news is if you're unsaved, not a believer in Christ, that's your future. But the Bible also says, um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one person but it says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So what happens is, is when you accept Jesus and you acknowledge your sin, the, the word is repent, as you repent of your sins and, and acknowledge your sin before God and say, Lord, I have sinned against you. I deserve death and hell for my sins. Once you get to that place, then you say to the Lord, I, I accept your salvation through Jesus. See, God becomes a man, dies on the cross for the sins of the world, and when he died, he didn't just die as some guy in Jerusalem. He said, when you destroy this body, I will prove I am who I say to be the Messiah who saves the world from its sins. I will raise up in three days. So they crucified Jesus. Three days later, he rose from the grave. That's why all of Jerusalem was turned upside down. And eventually the whole world was turned upside down because of what Jesus did on the cross. So anyone who will confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, the Lord Jesus, it says, you will be saved saved. So instead of, if you do that, you have a, a Jesus foundation. Uh, your life is no longer built on your goodness because that's, that's a lose-lose, but you're building your house upon a rock um, and the, the rock is Jesus. And then as you're a Christian, then what you do is you lose your life for Christ's sake and you serve Christ and walk with Jesus, then there's heavenly rewards you get. And you don't go to a great white throne judgment, you go to a different judgment called the Bema seat of Christ, or it's called the judgment seat of Christ. What's that? Well, that's for all the believers who are saved and go to heaven, but they also will be judged for their works. In other words, there's rewards in heaven. Now, be careful, some of you guys are like, Brad, I don't care about our rewards as long as I get to heaven. I don't care if I smell like smoke when I get to heaven. Uh, as long as I'm there, that's great. And I understand that notion. And, and um, in some ways you might be right. 
But then what's the purpose of the Bema Seat Judgment? Well, I don't care about gold and silver and words. I know what the Bible says. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, as it turns out, in 1 Corinthians 3, 11, it sort of describes what that judgment Bema Seat of Christ is. It says, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's, that means you've been saved. Once you accept Christ and you're a Christian, you've got the foundation of Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, once you're saved, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work, the stuff you do with your life shall be made manifest or revealed or made known. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Um, man, so there's this test of your works. It's gonna be put through the, the fire. And if it was wood, hair, subtle, it's gonna be burned up. What, what's that? The stuff you did for yourself, self-centered motivation, stuff that you, know, you thought you were doing good, uh, but you did it to be seen of men. When that's tried, it'll say, that's, that's wood, hair, and stubble. But the stuff you did in secret that nobody knew and you were following Christ, that's the gold, silver, precious stones. What happens when you put gold and silver through fire? What does it do? Yes, purifies. Who said that back here? Yeah, you get an A back there. Purifies. Um, there's a purifying effect that happens when you put gold and silver through the fire. Because um, see, even your best works are, are like what? Filthy rags. Um, so you kind of go, well, I'm a little worried about this trial by fire. Is there anything gonna be left? Well, as it turns out, the Lord's gonna put the stuff in the fire and the stuff that was bad will be burnt out. But the, anything that was gold and silver will be left behind. And it says, the fire uh, shall try every man's work, what sort it is. If any man's work abide or last, which he built thereon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. In other words, that's the guy that smells like smoke that gets into heaven. Uh, but he doesn't have any rewards in heaven. You say, well, Brett, then I don't care. Whatever, rewards, I, I'm, I'm just gonna keep living my life the way I am because I know I'm saved by God's grace. Here's the thing about heaven that you should know about. Um, somehow when we get there, these rewards will matter to you. Um, it, it's hard to uh, even know for sure how this works, but I believe it has to do with your ability to exist in heaven and the, the level that you'll be able to exist. Here's the thing, everybody's gonna be in happy, happy in heaven. The Bible teaches that all the tears will be wiped away, no more sorrow, no more suffering. Heaven's gonna be glorious. So see, you're like, cool, as long as I make it. So then what's the rewards about? Well, I think it has to do with your capacity to serve and even enjoy heaven. You maybe have heard this analogy. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, what, what does a, a, a two-year-old, three-year-old child enjoy? Man, sitting in the middle of the kitchen with some pots and pans, uh, banging them, king, 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 and they're having a great time. They love it. Now, as an adult, you, you sit down with them and you say, well, let's try this out. And you sit there, king, king, king. You're like, ooh, where's the Advil, man? I, this gives me a headache. And uh, I don't enjoy banging pots and pans. Oh, but the two-year-old loves it. They just think it's the funnest day of all time, banging pots and pans. They're enjoying that, but you're not. Now, you take that two-year-old and you uh, put them on the gas tank of a GSXR. 1,000 street bike, uh, you know, just a, a rocket ship of a motorcycle. And you're like, oh, you're gonna love this. Woo, woo, and you just take off, woo. And the two-year-old, well, this is how I know. My dad used to do this with me when I was a two-year-old kid. <laughs> now I love dirt bikes and motorcycles and speed and horsepower now, but then I hated it. 
I made new hand grips in that bar as I was like a little kid, just, ah, as my dad was wheeling down the highway. And I was like, um, I, it freaked me out. I didn't enjoy that. Why? Because I was a two-year-old. Two-year-olds don't enjoy it. Um, now you say, bro, what does that have to do with heaven? Here's the thing. Uh, it takes a, a higher level of appreciation to appreciate a GSXR 1000. Uh, you, you know, it, it, you have to kind of be more advanced in who you are as a person. To, I wonder if in heaven, there's gonna be capacities. Everybody's gonna be happy. Some of you, are, we're gonna see you in heaven. You'll be like, king, 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 king. I'm in heaven, king, king. You're like, they're happy, that's great. Others of you will be doing other things. Um, that's probably a horrible example, but... <laughs> But I think that somehow your eternity is gonna be influenced by this, this uh, judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat judgment. So don't just blow it off. I'm not into gold and silver. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is the works you do here and now as you live for Christ and serve Christ, it will affect your eternal life in heaven. That's kind of the point. Um, and so, you know, that's why there was a guy, by the way, uh, who was a famous uh, cricket player in London who kind of got to a place in his life where he just forsook all his stuff. Now, the Lord doesn't ask us all to do this, but from time to time in history, there've been people who have just laid down everything and followed Christ. And some of these people are kind of amazing. One guy, a guy named C.T. Studd, he wrote a sort of a famous line in one of his journals. He said, you have only one life, it will soon be passed. And only what you do for Jesus Christ will last. And I think that's a truth. And this guy died with nothing but was happy as he had served and lived for Christ. His younger years, he had a kind of a whole nother thing going on. Um, if you wanna be miserable, turn inward. But if you wanna have life, Jesus, who's the author of life says, die to yourself and live for me. And that's where you're gonna find true joy. So, you know, our text here in Matthew 10, 39, um, it, it leaves us wondering, do we believe this spiritual law that's in fact more true than even the laws of gravity? He that finds his life shall lose it. Are you still trying to find your life? Find yourself, find who you were supposed to be, your reputation? Are you still trying to make your Instagram account show something that's really fancy and people go, wow, look at that? Or are you living for Christ, trying to glorify Christ? Um, how much have you sacrificially given of your life and your time to live for Christ? Um, in 2022, I mean, this year is almost over. It's October, 2022, can you believe it? So in 2022, how much of it, how much energy and effort did you make for the cause of Christ, serving Christ, loving Christ? That's the question I ask myself. Um, John chapter 10, verse 10, it's not just a negative. Some of you might be hearing what I'm saying, I gotta die to myself and give up, my, do this. No, it's not that. It's truly the blessing. It's a blessing to die to yourself. As soon as you let go, you just kind of realize, man, this is where I should have been all along. This is where true satisfaction comes from. In fact, Jesus put it this way in John 10, 10, when he said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. This is what the Satan wants your life to have. Just be ripped off. People are trying to find this life, but they're being ripped off, kill and destroy. But Jesus said, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Not only life in general, but abundant life. I love that word, that abounding in goodness is the idea there. And so as we kind of wrap up this, this sort of discussion today about this spiritual law, he that finds his life will lose it. He that loses his life for my sake 
We'll find it. Um, some of you might go away thinking, oh, I'll think about that, whatever. It's kind of a negative sermon today, Brad. I don't know if I like it. It doesn't help me love myself more. Um, and, and you can go your way, but it's still gravity. It's still a law. It's still true, if you, if you know what I'm saying. Some of you might say, I don't want to believe in Jesus at all. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't even know that I believe what Jesus is saying. And, and, and I put you in the category of Bob. You're acting like Bob, which I started with, with one foot out the window saying, I don't believe in gravity. There's a lot of people in this world that just kind of take that approach. But when we think about this absolute truth that Jesus is saying, man, what are we missing out on? You're, you're missing out on perhaps the greatest life that could ever be, the person who just doesn't live for self, denies ourself, takes up our cross, follows Jesus. That's what you need to ask yourself. How can I do that more? What does that look like for me? It may be that you keep doing the same things, but you do it for kind of a different reason. Instead of trying to build up your reputation and your financial portfolio, what if you said, today I'm gonna live for Christ and I'm gonna do only that which is glorifying and honoring to Jesus and I'm gonna live my life, even if it, if, if it seems like I'm losing my reputation or losing life or ground in, in my work or not, not as much esteemed because I'm acting in a way that's to glorify Jesus and not myself. You might feel like you're losing life, but the promise is as you serve Christ, that's where you're gonna find life. And it's even more true than the law of gravity. Boy, may the Lord give us not only ears to hear, but hearts to do and, and live by the spiritual laws that Jesus spells out for us. Here's your assignment. As we go through the gospels, let's look for these absolute statements Jesus makes, because he makes a lot of them. And frankly, I find it in myself and in humanity, we don't believe a lot of them. We say, yeah, whatever. What a spiritually philosophical kind of twisted thing to say. And then we blow it off. But meanwhile, we're wondering why I don't feel like I have life. Why am I so depressed? Why am I so blue or bummed or disgruntled with my situation? Maybe we're missing the very life that Jesus promises. So may the Lord give us ears to hear. Let's pray together. And Lord, we're so thankful that um, your word reminds us of things that are so true. And Lord, we confess that it's so tempting to have such a self-centered sort of demeanor. Instead, Lord, I pray that um, we would change that. Forgive us for being self-centered. Forgive us to buying into the lies of this world about self-esteem and, and about living for oneself or building up yourself or loving yourself. Um, Lord, we realize your word teaches to esteem others better than ourselves, to deny ourselves. Uh, help us to learn how to do that practically, Lord. 